0: Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine with your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard
1: and today is Wednesday, December 14th, 2022 and the end of week 42 of the Russia-Ukraine War. It's been 3,213 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 294 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine war update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we maintain that the commander of all Russian forces in Ukraine, Army General Sergey Sorovikin, has increased the operational tempo to create a political victory before December 31st by deploying the same strategy as his predecessor, Colonel General Alexander Lapin, on the Soledar-Bakhmut axis. Second, we maintain that Russia is still conducting stealth mobilization and it is almost certain that the second wave of partial mobilization will begin in January or February 2023, despite Kremlin denials. Third, we maintain that the threat of Russian forces in Belarus crossing into Ukraine has diminished further and is now a remote possibility during the winter months. Fourth, we assess that terror attacks on civilians and civilian infrastructure will continue at least through December 22nd, and that the threat of another round of missile attacks is elevated through December 14th. Fifth, we maintain that Russia will not stop until the Ukrainian electrical grid and natural gas network are completely destroyed, or Russia's supply of missiles and drones is exhausted. Sixth, we maintain that the risk of a nuclear accident caused by the de-energization of Ukrainian nuclear power plants as a result of Russian electrical infrastructure destruction is possible. Seventh, our assessment that Russian President Vladimir Putin is facing more unrest outside the Kremlin was accurate, with numerous Russian millbloggers openly criticizing the Kremlin, tactics, strategy, intentional disinformation spread by Russian state media, and the treatment of Mobix. Eighth, we maintain that Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu is reaching a point where his continued leadership of the Russian Federation Armed Forces is at risk, and that it will be politically difficult to blame Army General Sodovyakin, Commander-in-Chief of the Russian Aerospace Forces, for failing to defend Russian airbases. Ninth, we maintain that neither belligerent will enter an operational pause over the winter. Tenth, we maintain that the Russian military within Ukraine is combat ineffective and can only mount effective defensive operations. Eleventh, we maintain that the private military company Wagner Group is spread too thin to be combat effective due to its expanding role in the Donetsk Oblast and the revelation of crippling battlefield losses. And finally, we maintain that Ukraine holds the battlefield initiative, forcing Russian troops to remain in a defensive posture. Let's get some regional updates, starting with the Donbass region in Luhansk. On the Svatova axis, ground fighting restarted near Novoselivsky, with Russian forces continuing to try and push into the village without success. Mercenaries with War Gonzo reported that Russian troops made another attempt to advance on Stelmechivka and were repulsed. A Ukrainian source reported that Karmazinivka, reported as liberated in October, was never brought under Ukrainian control. Due to a lack of photo or video evidence, we did not move the line of conflict, but we did code the settlement as contested. Sergei Haidai, Luhansk Oblast administrative and military governor, reported that 13 settlements had been liberated in Luhansk but had not named which ones. In our assessment, that includes Karmazinivka. On the Kremina axis, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported Ploshanka was shelled indicating Ukrainian forces continue to operate in the area. Morgonzo reported that Russian forces attempted to advance on Makivka for the second day in a row and did not report any outcome. Typically, it didn't go well when Russian sources didn't report a glorious victory. E- even then, sometimes. Fighting continued west of the P-66 highway ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that's a supply line, in Chervonopopivka and Ukrainian forces used reconnaissance in force to probe the area between Zhitlivka and Kremina. Southwest of Kremina, the GSAFU reported continued fighting in the area of Serebryansky. There were no reports from Russian sources of a continued push southwest of Kremina, and the language from the BARS-13 unit became more defiant that they would hold Kremina, quote, "...at all costs." In our assessment... This was a Russian reconnaissance or reconnaissance-in-force group of platoon-size or smaller probing Ukrainian defenses. On the Lysychansk axis, fighting continued east of Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, with Russian and Ukrainian sources reporting they were on the offensive. The GSAFU reported that the strike on the private military company or PMC Wagner Group headquarters in Klodyevka on December 11th killed 60 mercenaries, and wounded almost 100. The Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR-JCCC, did not report any major strikes on Russian positions today beyond the continued heavy shelling of Svatova and Kremina. However, Governor Haidai reported that the quote, Russian military was destroyed in end quote, 37 kilometers east of Severodonetsk. Kaidai is likely overstating a rocket attack by HIMARS on the critical supply and transit node with a railhead and connections to the H-21 and T-1306 highway G-lock. Novoidar connects the cities of Luhansk, Severodonetsk, and Starobilsk by rail, road, or both. In northeast Donetsk, on the Lusychansk and Popazna Axis, mercenaries with PMC Wagner, backed by the 2nd Army Corps of the LNR, continued their attempts to advance on verkno Russian forces continue to report their shelling Ukrainian positions in Spirna but have not attempted to attack the town. Wagner also continued their attempts to cross the T-1302 highway at Bilohodivka, the one in Donetsk, without success. The most intense fighting in Ukraine continued around Solidar and Bakhmut, with both Russia and Ukraine finding battlefield success in different regions. War Gonzo was shockingly candid in their assessment of the Solidar Axis, They reported that Russian forces do not control the, quote, road to Yakovlivka, which indicates that PMC Wagner and supporting troops from the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, 1st Army Corps were pushed east of the T-1302 highway. There is no other road to Yakovlivka. Fighting continued on the eastern edge of Solidar, with War Gonzo reporting that Russian forces had reached the center of Bakhmutska, aligning with our assessment from yesterday's episode. Adding further support that Ukraine's positions in Yakovlivka, Solidar, and Bakhmutska are better than initially believed, Pavlo Kirilenko, Donetsk oblast administrative and military governor, reported all three settlements were heavily shelled. On the Bakhmut axis, the situation is complex. PMC Wagner's social media channels reported a significant advance toward Pythorodne, which wasn't supported in Wargonzo's report or from our sources. Wagner mercenaries were also trying to advance west through the forested area at the T-1302 and M3 highway interchange, but there were no reports that they were successful. On December 12th, PMC Wagner reported they had crossed the ponds on the eastern edge of Bakhmut and were west of Fedora-Maximenka Street. Based on direct information we received from our points of contact with video evidence, we labeled the claim false. False. We have not published the video to protect operational security. In another indication, the report was false. PMC Wagner made a repeated claim of crossing Fedora-Maximenko Street yesterday and advancing to the sparkling wine factory. Back in September, Wagner and Russian mill bloggers made repeated claims that the sparkling wine factory had been captured without any evidence. In our assessment, Russian forces have occupied the Siniet Ceramics Factory on Patrisa Lumumbi Street and have likely crossed the ponds, and occupy two to four city blocks of private homes. Due to repeated false victory claims from Wagner, we maintain that there needs to be a video or wide-angled geolocatable photo, or it didn't happen. Wagner also reported fighting, quote, near the recycling sorting facility north of the garbage dump. Wagner reported they had captured 90% of Opitne, which was not supported by any other reliable source, Russian or Ukrainian. Yaroslav Lysenko, a spokesperson for the Freedom Battalion of the National Guard of Ukraine, said, quote, It is consistently difficult in Bakhmut, but the boys hold on. Bakhmut has already turned into Stalingrad. We will not give up the city. The enemy will not pass any further, End quote. Russian propagandist Vysoki Govorit shared an assessment from the Russian telegram channel Look and See, which provided a more sober analysis of the situation in Bakhmut, which did not support that Wagner had entered the city. South of Bakhmut, Russian sources reported that Ukrainian troops repelled an attack on Klishivka. A video appeared of the Zhokhar-Dudayev battalion, comprised of pro-Ukrainian Chechens, fighting southeast of Avdivka, the one in Donetsk. Based on their location, we assess that Russian forces have been pushed east of Avdivka, and Ukraine has retaken the ridgeline. Fighting continued for control of Kurdyumivka, with Wargonzo reporting that PMC Wagner was, quote, trying to cut the road off, end quote. Based on this information, we've moved the line of conflict east, and in our assessment, fighting is happening around the train station. The situation for Ukrainian forces around Bakhmut remains extremely difficult. We maintain that the water obstacles and terrain will make capturing Klishivka challenging. Holding the southern side of Bakhmut is more critical than maintaining the areas east of the Bakhmutovka River, which separates the eastern districts of Bakhmut from the city center. Russian forces continue to launch rockets from multiple launch rocket systems, or MLRS, and S-300 anti-aircraft missiles at Kramatorsk. Governor Kirilenko reported the industrial district and the Institute of Technology and Management were hit during a lunchtime attack. Over 80% of the population fled in March and April, so there were no casualties. In southwest Donetsk, uh, quick errors and omissions. Yesterday, we reported a TOS-1 thermobaric weapons attack, and based on multiple geolocation reports, reported the strike happened in Novoselivské, Luhansk. The video has since been geolocated in Kamyanka, northeast of Donetsk. We thank you for your understanding as we cut through the fog of war. On the Donetsk axis, positional fighting was reported near the Ukrainian firebase at Nevelske, with no change in the situation. Mercenaries with Rybar and Wargonzo falsely claimed that Ukrainian forces were cut off from their GLOCs and, quote, almost surrounded in Marinka. They are basing their reports on the Russian telegram channel Real Colonel Z and a video we geolocated and shared in the December 12th Situation Report and mentioned in yesterday's episode. The video showed DNR forces on patrol and claimed they had severed the highway between Krasnokhodivka and Marinka. Our geolocation was 700 meters too far north, and a review discovered that the DNR forces were in the same area they captured on May 10, 10 kilometers south of Krasnohorivka, and just west of the Minsk-2 border. Marinka has multiple g and wasn't dependent on the N-15 highway. Positional battles continued east of Druzhby Avenue. Elements of the 1st Army Corps of the DNR attempted to advance on Pobida without success. On the Volodar axis, the DNR assured that stories will be told for years to come, how Russian military commanders single-handedly boosted 2023 Lada sales with another attempted attack on Novomikhailivka without success. The GSAFU reported that Ukrainian forces successfully repelled an attack on their positions in Pavlivka. Validating the December 12th report that the Ukrainian positions were better than believed, and supporting our continued assessment that Russian forces have not crossed the kashlahach River. We maintain that Pavlivka is contested. Rybar reported there was fighting in this Kuchne, south of Velika Novosilka. The People's Militia of the DNR Public Relations Telegram Channel claimed their forces destroyed two main battle tanks, or MBTs, and five units of, quote, armored and automotive vehicles, as always seems to be the case, without any evidence. Ukrainian forces carried out 120 fire missions on the occupied territories. Self-declared leader of the DNR, Denis Pushilin announced that there would be no Christmas tree in Lenin Square this year, the day after city workers started preparing to put the tree up. Pushilin also said that Russian air defenses would try not to shoot down Diedmorov's Troika, but he had not filed a flight plan. Okay, we made up that last part, but the sentiment stands. Quick sidebar here. The Edmaros is Grandfather Frost and is a Slavic character similar to Santa Claus or St. Nicholas. The occupied city of Khorlivka was shelled again with no claims of casualties. Moving on to Kherson and Zaporizhia. Once again, there was mutual shelling by both belligerents in Kherson. Russian forces continued to target civilians and civilian infrastructure— conducting 42 fire missions on the Free Ukraine territories and killing one civilian. Kherson was shelled overnight along with the suburb of Komeshane. Shelling late on December 13th destroyed a warehouse causing a large fire. There were no secondary explosions. You will need Telegram to view the video, but we do link to it in our full situation report on Patreon. Residential areas in Bereslav were also struck by artillery shells and grad rockets fired by MLRS. The International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, reported the backup 330-kilovolt power connection to the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant failed, but the 750-kilovolt line continued to supply the plant with internal power. Rosatom continues to refuse to bring reactor 5 or 6 to a low-power state, which would provide heat for the ZNPP complex and part of Enerhodar. Plant operators have been forced to bring additional diesel generators that provide 1 to 3 megawatts of power to supply heat to critical areas of the power plant to prevent pipes and coolant lines from freezing. The IAEA has also brought in additional portable diesel generators to supplement the 20 backup generators at the plant in the event of a long-term power outage. This aligns with our earlier assessment that the attacks on Ukraine's energy infrastructure increase the chance of a nuclear accident. Despite defiance from the Kremlin last week that ZNPP is part of Russia and they will never demilitarize the plant or accept a green zone, IAEA Director General Rafael Grossi struck an optimistic tone, stating, quote, I'm increasingly optimistic that such a zone, which is of paramount importance, will be agreed and implemented in the near future. End quote. He added that high level consultations would continue. Quote, with the clear aim to get this done as soon as possible. We can't afford to lose more time. End quote. French President Emmanuel Macron, who hosted the meeting in Paris, told reporters a deal had already been forged in principle and that Russia was willing to demilitarize the plant. In our assessment, this was inappropriate and potentially damaging to negotiations, with the occupation of ZNPP a point of Russian mirror and national pride. Returning the power plant to Ukrainian control would create strife inside and outside the Kremlin, where people believe Russia should not take one more step back. The GSAFU reported that the HIMAR strike on Melitopol on December 11th destroyed the headquarters of the 58th Combined Arms Army, which has been stationed in Zaporizhia Oblast since March. Ivan Fedorov, Melitopol's exiled mayor, reported an explosion at the chess school in the center of the city. After the blast, there was small arms fire, and at least one body was in the street. We could not confirm reports of a Ukrainian advance on Myrna, the one north of Polokhi, and made no changes to the map. In the rest of Zaporizhia, Russian forces remain in a defensive posture, with artillery and tank fire from the Zaporizhia-Donetsk administrative border to Pola to Orehiv to mali There continues to be rampant speculation in Russian and Ukrainian millblogger and analyst circles that Ukrainian forces will launch a counteroffensive on the Zaporizhia axis. These claims have circulated since July, and we maintain a broken clock is right twice a day. While there are suggestions that Ukrainian forces are setting conditions due to HIMARS strikes behind the line of conflict and the ongoing disruption of supply, logistics, and GLOCs, Ukraine has been engaged in this activity along with extensive suppress and destroy enemy air defense missions
0: since June. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine war podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers and analysts is funded by readers, listeners and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv,
1: and Odessa region, the Black Sea fleet has eight vessels on patrol with no missile carriers. In Russian-occupied Sevastopol, COVID is becoming a significant problem, with 13% of the people tested reportedly positive. The Russian government is recommending vulnerable populations wear masks and announced mandatory use in hospitals and certain public buildings. Hospitals are also reporting a significant number of flu cases, including influenza A H3N2, which is particularly nasty. Vitaly Kim, Mykolaiv Oblast administrative and military governor, reported that Ochekiv had been shelled again by Russian forces on the Kinburn spit. There wasn't any significant damage or reported injuries. Quick follow-up. We were very skeptical of reports by Operational Command South, or OCS, of military action by Ukrainian forces on the Kinburn Spit. The claims drifted away with no follow-up, and in our assessment, this was a psychological operation. Ukrainian DRG and special operation forces have been operating on the Spit since March, so we don't believe this was willful disinformation, but an intentional exaggeration. We had assessed that a Ukrainian presence on the Spit would be unsustainable, the only way to supply an occupation force would be through airlines or sea lines of communication, a or SLOC, which would be extremely difficult to maintain. In western and central Ukraine, Russian forces continue their relentless and pointless shelling of Nikopol and Markhanets in Dnipropetrovsk. Up to 50 grad rockets fired by MLRS hit both communities, targeting residential areas and civilian infrastructure. There were no injuries reported. In north and northeast Ukraine, Russia launched 11 Iranian-sourced Shahed 136 Kamikaze drones from the Azov Sea toward Kiev. Some drones were reportedly modified and had mufflers to suppress their sound. Officials are reporting all 11 were shot down, with debris landing in the city center causing light damage to two administrative buildings, a car, and one home. In Sumy, the Khromadas of Esmen, Bilopilia, and Khotin were attacked by drones, mortars, and artillery. In Esmen, along the Russia-Ukraine border, 18 artillery shells were fired, causing damage to the fire station and a fire truck. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. Yevgeny Popov, Olga Skabeyeva's husband, speaking on the Russia One program, 60 Minutes, suggested that Poland was preparing to invade the Russian enclave of Kaliningrad and would start World War Three, nuclear weapons and all. If I had a tip jar that got a dollar every time someone associated with the Kremlin mentioned nuclear war, I would be so rich. Popov failed to mention that Poland is building a barbed wire fence along the border of Kaliningrad which will certainly make it much easier to invade. Mm. Vadim Skibitsky, a representative of the Defense Intelligence of the Ministry of Defense of Ukraine, reported that analysis of KH-55 missiles launched at Ukraine on November 23rd indicated that they were among those handed over to Russia to be destroyed as part of the Budapest Memorandum in 1994. The memorandum provided security guarantees to Ukraine including if Russia ever used weapons that had been released to the Russian Federation for destruction. The KH-55 missiles used against Ukraine on November 23rd intentionally had their serial numbers removed and could only carry nuclear weapons. Russia removed the warheads and replaced them with dummies to use the missiles as decoys. Ukraine will receive millions of LED light bulbs to distribute to their citizens to replace incandescent bulbs, LED bulbs could reduce electrical consumption by 10 to 15 percent nationwide, taking stress off the badly damaged electrical grid. Belarusian officials announced they would start checking the combat readiness of its army under orders of self-declared leader Alexander Lukashenko. Belarus has been continuously carrying out readiness drills since May. Ukraine's Verkhovna Rada passed draft legislation that would give more power to the National Council of Television and Radio Broadcasting of Ukraine as part of a list of requirements to join the European Union. The bill passed with 299 in favor, 2 opposed, and 30 abstaining. The United States is expected to announce they will provide Ukraine with a Patriot air defense system, including a command post and radar station and up to eight launchers with four MIM-104 missiles of various types and or 16 errant missiles for each launcher. Okorspec Systems released information and pictures of the Shark 2 drone. The Shark received new batteries, which doubled its flight time to four hours. The drones are used for reconnaissance. The United Kingdom announced they were sending another military aid package to Ukraine worth 50 million pounds, the air defense package includes 125 anti-aircraft systems and counter-drone technology. Alexei Danilov, the Secretary of the National Security and Defense Council of Ukraine, reported that arms manufacturing of 122- and 152-millimeter Soviet-era artillery shells had restarted in Ukraine, saying, quote, Mines and many more things will be produced by our defense sector enterprises from now on. We are talking about thousands of items. This is already an industrial scale. End quote. The Verkhovna Rada ratified an agreement to allow Turkey's Bayraktar to manufacture drones in Ukraine. Prime Minister Denis Schmal noted, quote, This will make it possible to build a factory in Ukraine for the production and maintenance of the famous Bayraktar drones. Quote. The deal had been agreed to in February 2022, just days before the invasion. The drones will use Ukrainian aircraft engines. Speaking of drones, let's talk about Russian mobilization. In the opening days of the wide-scale invasion of Ukraine, Roscosmos launched the Cosmos 2555 military spy satellite to much fanfare in a rocket painted with the Z invasion marking and in St. George's ribbon colors. It did not go well, with Cosmos 2555 not achieving a proper orbit and crashing back to Earth two months later. Undeterred, in October, Roscosmos launched Cosmos 2560 to replace Cosmos 2555. The Cosmos 2560 military surveillance satellite executed a perfect special re-entry operation after failing to achieve a proper orbit and burned up in Earth's atmosphere on December 13th. Retired Russian military personnel claimed that the Russian Federation only has two operational surveillance satellites. Another day, another video of Mobics complaining about improper barracks, no training, no gear, no food, and no potable water. A video emerged of either mobiks or fall conscripts being hazed, with at least one person covered in bruises from multiple beatings. Their trainer appeared to be enjoying the hazing and continuing the traditions of the so-called Terror of the Grandfathers. Because in Russian Mir, conflict, beatings, and worse, apparently help build trust and esprit de corps among combat troops. While Russian propagandists say that Russian Mir is under attack from almost the entire world, and the Russian people suffer from Russophobia, the state Duma is writing legislation that would change certain Western words used in the Russian language to new Russian ones. A Duma representative said, quote, The bill provides for the inadmissibility of using foreign words except for those that do not have commonly used alternatives in the Russian language. The specified projected norm is aimed at protecting the Russian language from the excessive use of foreign words. End quote. Yep. That is definitely the most pressing thing facing the Russian government today. We're worried about the long-term health of our favorite FSB colonel, convicted war criminal, Kremlin pariah, and former Mobik, Igor Gherkin-Strelkov. Strelkov went all-in, as it were, on his Telegram channel with 736,000 followers, attacking Putin, Pushilin, General Sodovykin, Shoigu, and Kremlin leadership in a series of posts. About Putin, he wrote, quote, Everything is extremely serious. The Kremlin jumped to the very brink of declaring Putin the new Milosevic, Saddam, Gaddafi, etc. True, I'm not sure that this line has already been crossed. This means that we have time left, but it is running short. End quote. He wasn't done. Writing in another post, quote, How good is it that we do not have King James, as well as the founder of the city? who had the good fortune to become the birthplace of Vladimir Vladimirovich Putin because Tsar Peter, the Great, was also very cool. I'm scared to even imagine how many respected and successful officials from the Ministry of Defense could now be subjected to unreasonable and simply brutal repression, and how lucky they are that the country is not ruled by some kind of king of kings, but a simple and all-forgiving archangel sent by God. End quote. Strelkov had this to say about General Serovyekin, after the rumors that the United States would provide Patriot missile batteries to Ukraine, quote, In my opinion, there is no cause for alarm. Patriots will not be able to do anything with the structures of the Sodovikin line. Not even one pyramid will be destroyed. This means that they will not interfere with the implementation of the concept of silent strategic defense adopted in the bowels of the transparent Russian Federation Ministry of Defense at the expense of further strikes on the energy system of the so-called Ukrainians, who somehow managed without them, electricity, with regroupings and difficult decisions. So we'll do it again. And it's time to remember about humanity towards our people. End quote. Quick editor's note here. Our people refers to the Ukrainians, whom Strelkov, as a Russian ultranationalist, refuses to acknowledge as Ukrainians we would strongly suggest that Strelkov not leave the ground floor of any building, check into a hospital for depression, start his car, or drink tea. Everything is going to plan. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is no graphic detail in today's report, but if you are sensitive to descriptions of human rights abuses, Please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. Russia and Ukraine did another prisoner of war exchange with 64 for 64, including one United States citizen, Suedi Mudakezi. Russia also returned the bodies of four Ukrainian soldiers. Mudakezi, born in Rwanda, became a naturalized US citizen. He is a US Air Force veteran and was living in Kherson as a Bitcoin trader when Russia launched its wide-scale invasion on February twenty-fourth, trapping him in the occupation zone. He was taken into custody in June, accused of participating in pro-Ukrainian protests. He was never considered a combatant. Canada and Spain announced they would transfer $115 million from the tariff revenues collected from Russia and Belarus to Ukraine. Additionally, Spain will provide 163 pieces of equipment to aid in restoring Ukraine's battered electrical grid, including 135 transformers of various capacities. Following the Paris conference, Ukraine's partners announced they would provide $1 billion in emergency funding to help Ukrainians survive the winter. $500 million is from no-strings-attached grants, which will be provided before the end of the year. Pictures appeared on social media from Mariupol With SOS written into the frost and condensation that formed on the plastic sheeting covering a window. After the picture circulated, there was a plot twist, with the photo taken by Andriy Zonder inside his apartment in the Left Bank District. Zonder is, or was, a Russian collaborator who has had a change of heart after things got cold. We don't know if this is cute or sad or both, but you should watch the video linked in our full situation report on Patreon. Two Ukrainian children, far behind the front lines, set up a pretend military checkpoint on the road. It includes a small tire barrier and a makeshift Ukrainian flag. The kids wore pretend uniforms and carried pretend guns, wrapped in blue tape while at their checkpoint in the pouring rain. The person recording was either in on it or humored the kids, who inspected the vehicle, including popping the trunk. A lot of kids play soldier when they're growing up. But in the middle of a war, it's... Interesting and heartbreaking to see those moments where it doesn't feel like playing anymore. In geopolitical news, we really, really don't want to talk about Twitter anymore, but here we are. If Elon Musk hopes his changes will get a green light from the Russian Federation, he's going to have to try harder. Russian State Duma Deputy Takachev Alexei Nikolaevich Asked for an evaluation if Twitter could be unblocked in Russia because of the positive changes. The Russian Roskomnadzor didn't waste any time responding, quote, There are no grounds for unblocking Twitter in Russia. End quote. In economic news, the Russian ruble improved slightly with an exchange rate of 63 for one US dollar in very light trading. Oil prices continued to climb on speculation that China's consumption would increase. WTI crude rose to $76 a barrel, and Brent reached $81. Russian Urals crude climbed to $57 a barrel. United States wholesale RBOB gasoline on-the-spot market climbed to $2.18 a gallon, or $0.58 a liter. Dutch TTF natural gas futures dropped, hitting €129 per megawatt-hour for January 2023 delivery and €131 for February. Chicago SRW wheat futures declined to $7.42 a bushel for March 2023 delivery. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for
0: more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand?